You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. From 1 July 2022, members aged 67 or over who are still eligible to contribute will need to satisfy a work test to be able to claim a tax deduction for their personal superannuation contributions. However, what will this actually mean for people in this age group that may have already fully retired? Will doing some odd jobs on the side or deriving income from a hobby or pastime really cut the mustard? And how will the ATO administer whether a client has actually satisfied the work test anyway? My name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss this issue with me is Linda Bruce and Kim Guest, two of my senior technical services managers. G'day, guys. Hi, Craig. How are we? Fantastic. Very good. Yeah. Oh, so much, so much energy, <laughs> so much energy for halfway through the year, or a bit over halfway through the year. It's all a bit full on, isn't it? Lots going on at the moment. But anyway, let's let's get into this podcast. So, Kim. Yes. First in the firing line, lucky you. So as we know, from 1 July 2022, members aged 67 uh, will need to satisfy a work test or the work test exemption in order to claim a tax deduction for their contribution. Can you just run me through the relevant rules as a refresher for us, everyone? Yeah, so the relevant rules are in Section 290.165 of the Tax Act. And in that section, it looks at the age-based rules for being able to claim a tax deduction for a super contribution. And now from 1 July 22, um, we have some rules around people who are aged 67 to 75 um, being able to claim a tax deduction for a super contribution. And the rule says, if the contribution is made during the period starting on the day they turn 67 and ending on the day that's 28 days after the end of the month in which they turn 75, so that strange 28-day rule, um, mm-hmm. then to be able to claim a tax deduction, they have to have been gainfully employed for at least 40 hours in any period of 30 consecutive days during the income year in which they made the contribution or they must satisfy the work test exemption. Okay, so obviously there's a work test there, but before we start digging into that, can you clarify what's happening with the work test exemption? Because somewhat strangely, I'm pretty sure that the work test exemption still requires you to satisfy a work test. Yes, is that it right? is right. It is a bit weird. Um, so to qualify for the work test exemption, um, you don't have to meet the work test in the year you make the contribution, but you have to meet the work test in the previous financial year. So you have to have satisfied the work test in the prior year, which is you were gainfully employed for at least 40 hours in any 30 consecutive days. And you had to have had a total super balance of less than 300000 at the end of the previous income year, so 30 June, just prior to the year you're making the contribution. And you can't previously have used the work test exemption. So you can't have used it to make a contribution or claim a deduction from now on or anything. You, you only get one shot at using the work test exemption. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it is a bit strange that the work test exemption does require you to meet the work test, but in the previous financial year. Okay. So coming back to the work test, so it talks about gainful employment. So what does gainful, gainful employment actually mean from a tax perspective? That is 
obviously we've had the work test applying from a superannuation perspective for many years and we've had all those APRA circulars, et cetera, that gave us some guidance around satisfying the work test in order to be able to make a contribution. But this is no longer a superannuation rule because we got rid of all those rules effective the 1st of July. Now this is a superannuation, oh, sorry, a taxation requirement so that you have to satisfy the work test in order to claim the tax deduction. So does the meaning of gainful employment is it the same as tax and as it is for super? Yeah, How does this so work? it's written when you read it, it looks exactly the same. So, um, gainfully employed is defined as employed or self-employed for gain or reward in any business, trade, profession, vacation, calling, occupation, or employment. And that definition is exactly the same as what we used to have in the super. Well, we still have in the super superannuation legislation as well. So, um, yes, those two definitions do look the same. It's the same. Okay. So, Linda, um, the definition of gainful employment basically says that I have to be employed or self-employed. So, when we start to dig into it for gain or reward. So, if I'm an employee that will be, you know, that's going to be pretty self-evident, right, as I will have an employment contract that specifies my duties and what I would be paid in return. So, that's correct, isn't it? There's nothing weird about being an employee. Uh, You're absolutely right, Craig. Um, It's just uh, quite a self-evident what you said earlier, usually there's a employee-employer uh, relationship there, and usually there's an employment contract, and usually there's a PAYG withholding that got taken uh, by the employer mm-hmm. from your salary or wages, and usually there would be super guarantee liabilities for the employer to pay to your super. So that's quite simple. It's getting a little bit uh, tricky or complex uh, if someone is a contractor. Uh, usually that won't be uh, a, a, a normal employment contract involved. But um, mm-hmm. if the person is contracted for their labor, uh, generally speaking, they're paid by the hours they done, they go to the employer's um, uh, workplace, do the work, they use the employer's tools to perform their work, and they are actually treated mm-hmm. as an employee for these purposes. On the other hand, yeah. if someone is a contractor, but they contracted for producer result, it doesn't matter how many hours they work, they, they get paid for delivering a result, Generally speaking, um, they are independent contractor. Okay, so not technically an employer at common law. However, an, an independent contractor could, however, be considered to be gainfully employed, I would assume, on the basis that they're running a business of providing their services. Is that that, the that, that is a case, Craig. Absolutely, they can be. Um, they, they they can be gainfully employed if you're act if they are actually running a business. Um, meaning if they are self-employed, uh, so uh, they could be you know running a business and providing their services to, to the public, and they can be uh, very well uh, gainfully employed as a um a sole trader or a partner in a partnership that's running a business. Okay, so that's interesting, is it? So if we go back to the definition of gainful employment, it says I have to be employed, which is clear, you know when you're going to be employed, or self-employed, and what we're saying here to be self-employed, you really got to be running a business. That's right, yeah. 
okay, now <laughs> I'm going to be nasty and ask you what constitutes running a business. It's really simple, isn't it? It's just one thing you got to think about. Oh, right. Where can we start, yeah. Craig? <laughs> that has been a forever long argument between the taxpayers mm-hmm. and accountants and the ATO. But look, without going into the details, what the ATO wants to see, they want to see the characteristics of, um, uh, you demonstrate the characteristics of running a business. What do they want to see? They want to see, uh, have you registered the business name as a trading name? Uh, have you obtained your uh, ABN? Uh, and do you actually have any intention to make a profit or you're actually just doing it for your personal pleasure? Um, how often you repeat your business, uh, so-called business activities and comparing with your peers in the industry, uh, the size of the scale and your activities, was that comparable? And other things would be, do you have a separate business account? Or even better, do you run your business from a separate business premises? Do you have a license, insurance, qualification? Or um, do you have a, you know, bookkeeper to do your bookkeeping, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you can demonstrate that you have a um, vast majority of them, uh, if not all of them, uh, it's likely that ATO would say, uh, yes, you are running a business. Yeah, really, I, I kind of I always use that if it walks like a duck kind of thing. Um, so here we're looking at it and we're saying, you know, if you're going to call this this thing you're doing a business, does it really walk and look and quack and make all the sounds as if it's the business duck, right? So you can't just call yourself a business and just set yourself up and 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 not have an intention to run a business, not to actually register your name and your ABN, not actually define what your business is going to do and do it repetitively on a continual basis, you know. So have a look at all the things that generally, you know, constitute a business and then look at what, you, you are doing all of what your client is doing and saying, is that legitimately a business? Because that's the process the ATO is going to go through. They're going to look at all the objective facts and circumstances and make a decision based on that. So from that, you know, I can remember I've been doing this job for a fair while now, 20-odd years, um, and in the days of people trying to get money into superannuation, um, you know, because of the work test, et cetera, from time to time, we would get this old question, I've got this client that's over, you know, 65, now over 67 or previously 67. They really want to get some money into superannuation, but they're not working. Can they potentially, and it's always because, and you always used to notice, right, because they would drop their voice as if they've discovered some sort of secret kind of way around the rules here. Could they go and babysit their grandkids and have their, <laughs> have their, their adult children? pay them for doing that? Is is that going to satisfy the gainful employment test? And the answer is? Oh, well, before we answer that, Craig, great <laughs> that they get paid for looking after their grandchildren. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> Many don't. They just do it like for free. Yeah. But let's make an assumption. Yes, um, the kids are so good. They pay their parents to look after their own kids. So the question is, are they running a babysitting business? Most likely, the answer is no. If it's a private and domestic arrangement, most likely it's just a private and domestic. You're not running a business. You're not running a business. You're not gainfully employed unless you're, uh, you know, employed by the kids, uh, like an employer-employee relationship. That doesn't happen very mm-hmm. often, right? 
or yeah. if you are genuinely running a babysitting um, a service or, or business to, and you offer the service to public and meanwhile your grandchildren is just one of those kids you look after and you uh, you got to pay the uh, by uh, the you know ambulance hours whatever um, maybe you do have argument there that you are completely employed yeah but that's that's never the case is it that's never the case um all right so how about if we step it up a notch right so i got asked this the other day what if my client picks up some odd jobs via airtasker so this is one of these peer-to-peer platforms kind of like airbnb or whatever these days where where you match someone that needs a job that has a job that needs to be done with someone willing to do the job. So um, if they click up, pick up some odd jobs via Airtasker and let's say, for example, they really enjoy putting together IKEA furniture and within 30 consecutive days they manage to tally up 40 hours. Look, in my household, that's one piece of furniture that gets me to the 40 hours. Uh, lots of yelling and screaming and probably a couple of divorces along the way. Um, could they actually claim a deduction for a personal contribution on that basis? So they go on to Airtasker, see a couple of people there, need their IKEA furniture built, which is apparently one of the big things on Airtasker. Um, if they're, you know, really like a handyman, enjoy that kind of thing, could they go and build those IKEA furniture things for those people, get their 40 hours within 30 consecutive days, and therefore claim a tax deduction for their personal contribution? So what's the answer there? Well, such a great question, um, Craig. Interesting with the, the world started to evolve and we started to deal with these weird and wonderful scenarios that we never had to deal with before, mm. right? And thank goodness to their task to or similar platform to start with. I've used them so handy. There's no way I can put up that the IKEA your furniture together and you've asked my husband to do it yeah potentially there was divorce on the way <laughs> anyway so let's look at the question so to start with let's have a look whether there's a, a common law employment uh relationship uh, there. So uh, look at Airtasker's website. They made it very clear. Uh, those people engage the platform, they are not employed by the Airtasker website or, or platform. So the first limb are uh, gone. They are not employees uh, of the Airtasker. So we have to go and explore. Are those people self-employed? Again, it comes to the question, uh, are those people running a business? They might be very well running a business, right? They might have their own ABN. They might be providing the services to the public and they might be engaging, you know, through the air task to pick up um, um, some job. If you can demonstrate that you are self-employed, fine, you're gainfully employed. However, Craig, in, in the scenario that you mentioned, it sounds like someone just want to do it for fun. And if they don't have an ABN, if they never intend to make um, um, a profit out of it, if they just do it for personal pleasure as a hobby, they don't have a separate um, a rest of the business name, um, most likely it's not going to cut it. All those attributes <laughs> that you would normally look at yeah. to decide whether someone's running a business, if they don't have those, then it doesn't matter whether they're running the income or not, they're not running yep. If they're not running a business and if they're not, employed elsewhere, then they're not going to satisfy yeah. the, the game for employment test. Right. Um, okay. So I'm guessing there's lots of variations on a theme here. So if I go and sell stuff through eBay or I lease out my holiday apartment via Airbnb, 
we're again asking the same question. Can you argue that you're self-employed on the basis that you're running a business of being either an online merchant or that you're operating short-term holiday letting business? Well, it all comes down to the same rules, right, Craig? So assuming those people are not elsewhere employed by someone else, we're dealing with are those people self-employed, meaning are those people running a business scenario? So let's have a look at eBay, right? Again, if you can demonstrate those characteristics of running a business, um, yeah, if you're self-employed, selling your products on eBay, yeah, you're self-employed, then you're again fully employed. If you meet those uh, working hours, that's fine. Um, but if you're doing it for a hobby, again, most likely you're not. You want to be gainfully employed. But for Airbnb, that that's an interesting scenario, unless you have a large portfolio of the properties and you can demonstrate that you're truly running a business of a uh, uh, like managing this um, uh, short-term holiday lighting business uh, you may be fine but there are heaps and heaps of private rulings uh, at the ATO legal database uh, check it out and have a look and but I can tell uh, of audience that <laughs> The vast majority of those private yeah. rulings were ruled as a negative result. Those people are not running yeah, business. It, yeah. It's rare. And the reason why all of those came about is a couple of years ago, they changed the, the deductibility rule. So if you used to own an investment property, um, you could claim the travel cost um, to go and visit and inspect your property as a, as a deduction. And then they changed the rules to say, actually, yes, you can still do that, but only when you're running a business of leasing out your residential investment property. So this is literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of applications to say, you know, I'm running a, a business of leasing out my one residential investment property by Airbnb and time after time after time, that's my dog. Um, sorry about that, guys. Time after time, it comes back to say that, no, you're not actually running a business because you don't have the necessary size and scale. So, um, yeah, so Gus, my dog, is a bit upset about something, but we'll just keep going on. Um, unusually, we're not talking Social Security. We're talking something else. Now, um, now, um, what about, um, and what if I have something like a trust that actually does legitimately operate a business? However, the client is not technically employees. There was never an employment contract. So instead, they just operate the business and receive trust distributions. What's yeah, well, we we would have in the past we would have said, oh no, that's that's not that's not an employment arrangement. But um, it, it's a bit clouded now because the ATO did come out with the Crackle case study, um, which I think we've talked about previously, and it's it's still on the ATO website. And in that Crackle case study, um, they had a look at a situation where somebody started off being an employee of their trust. And then they terminated employment with that trust and they were paid out their leave and all that sort of thing. Um, but then they continued to do the same activities um, for that trust and uh, received increased trust distributions. And the ATO then looked at, well, did they really cease employment in that case? Um, so, yeah, they weren't being paid wages anymore or being employed, but they, they were um, receiving trust distributions and they were... Um, their trust was involved as in profit-making activities and they were still doing the same activities um, after they, they ceased being an employee. Um, and in that particular case study, the ATO took the view that they had not ceased um, the gainful employment arrangement 
And in that case, they were actually looking at whether, you know, they met the retirement definition so they could um, access their superannuation after turning 60 and and they took the mm. no, um, they, they haven't retired in that situation. So it's a bit of a different situation to what we're looking at, which is are they employed to be able to claim a tax deduction, but it's a similar similar kind of situation. Kind of, so, mm. Yeah, same concepts mm. but in the mm. reverse. So can you argue that, um, you know, I'm, I'm actively involved in the, the profit-making activities of this company or trust, I'm just not an employee technically of the company or trust, but I'm, you know, that those efforts are resulting in additional income coming through to the company trust, which I'm then receiving in the form of distribution. So is that really an employment arrangement now for the purpose of, you know, declaring retirement, the ATO said, no, we, we don't think you have ceased an arrangement of employment, which then implies, well, is that an employment arrangement of employment, despite the fact you don't have an employment contract, you, yes, you're involved in the profit-making activities, but could that mean that you actually are gainfully employed here? So uh, I think because this thing's not a ruling, it's just a case study that sits on the ATO website and we've seen the ATO... <laughs> Previously, when stuff is on their website that they discover that people are saying, oh, well, if that is that, then that means this, then very quickly that is taken off the ATO website. So, so uh, yeah, I, what I would suggest there is if you've got a client in that particular situation and you really want to claim a tax deduction for their personal contribution, maybe get some some tax, advi tax advice or go and put in a private buying ruling for it. Or you could just make the contribution and, and just expect for it to be challenged and, and denied. That's one way you could do it but I suppose the, the problem with that is if it does just get accepted and flies through the keeper and then the ATO come back later on you could be you could be pinged so it's probably better to get the a-okay before heading down that track now Linda Kim raised a really good point here how will the ATO actually administer these rules oh yeah, it's a new thing, right, Craig? In the past, it was a super fund who uh, look at or um, ask the member to make a declaration. They have made the work test. The declaration was fine. But from 1st July 2022, these new rules start ticking. It's no longer the super fund's responsibility. They are not going to look at all uh, whether the member can meet the work test whatsoever. So now it's the ATO who's administering those rules. Uh, we don't know exactly, but we think what the ATO might do, uh, you know that you had a personal super contribution deduction item in your individual tax return, they might insert, mm -hmm. insert a, a new box, they might ask the taxpayer to take uh, right, you click, you want to claim this deduction and you made a contribution after 10 age 67. You need to tick this box, you have met the work test, or you can utilize oh. the work test exemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't know yet exactly that's how they're going to do it, but we think that's how they're going to do it. Okay, so I would imagine that if you're going into your tax return and ticking the box that you've done your 40 hours within 30 consecutive days, that's something that's going to be pretty easy for the ATO to, to oh, check. Oh, yeah, their um, data matching system are getting better and better. And the first limb of the uh, of the work test that we mentioned earlier for employee is so easy. They just go and look at your item. Have you declared any salary? Have you declared any wages? Have there, uh, uh, were there any PAYG withholding credit? This kind of things. And then, 
if um, they can't see anything there, uh, maybe you are self-employed. The question might be raised. Then what they would be, uh, what would the ATO be checking against? Uh, if you are a sole trader, they will go and have a look. Have you declared any income as a sole trader? Have you put any personal services income down? Or you know, you could receive, uh, you could be a partner of a partnership who's Uh, running a that's running a business have you had any partnership distributions uh, so these kind of things and if you do show a partnership distribution naturally the ATO will go oh partnership is running a business let's have a look at those people's partnership tax return so they can just double check against each other mm. and find some anomalies quite easily <laughs> okay so if If there's nothing there in the tax return to indicate that you're, you know, an employee or running a business, then I think you're going to get a call from the ATO. Yep. Can you please explain here why you've why you've ticked this box? Um, I suppose also to final finish up, are there any rulings or determinations that people can go and look at to get a better understanding of in what circumstances client will or won't satisfy the work test? Not yet, um, because um, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Craig, it. It's a new thing. Uh, in the past, it was not ATO's thing. So people don't mm -hmm. seem to go to the ATO and ask these kind of questions. Um, but now it has become quite big in relating to whether or not an individual can claim a tax deduction. So uh, presumably we'll see more and more uh, you know, people applying for private banning rulings relating to this issue, and particularly on the basis of whether or not those people are self-employed uh, and particularly Uh, on the issue of whether or not they are running a, a business. And um, I've already noticed that people start to ask ATO those kind of questions on the ATO community page. I saw uh, quite a few people uh, questions um, popping up uh, relating to this issue. It's just really interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a watch this space. We're probably likely to sooner, sooner rather than later than the ATO responding to some of these, uh, these uncertainties and putting out some guidance. Okay, guys, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.